Uh, from the Mac Observer, it's our weekly look at the world of, of digital media and Apple's place within it. And I'm really excited to have, once again, Adrian Weckler back. Happy, how are you doing, Adrian? How's it going? Oh, pretty good. I'm just wondering. Uh, I missed out my big chance to be the CEO of Twitter. Oh, I thought you were going to announce exclusively on the show that you are the new CEO of Twitter. I was hoping to to do that, uh, Charlotte, but um, unfortunately, the CTO, Parag Agrawal, I'm not even sure how that's how you pronounce his name. He got the gig. Yes. Um, so for those wondering what on earth we're talking about, which I don't think will be many people listening to the show, as we're recording it, the news has just broken that Jack Dorsey, who has led, as he puts in a letter he's posted to Twitter about his move, uh, he says he's had over 16 years, many roles at the company. He was a co-founder. He was the CEO. He was the chair. He was the executive chairman. He's been an interim CEO and the CEO. Um, I think that's almost more job. I was going to try and make an Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, Michael Carrick, Ralph Ranyett joke in there, but I can't make it work. Anyway, Jack Dorsey, after many roles at Twitter, is leaving his place at the company fully. He says he's going to finish his term on the board um, up until May-ish, and then he will be gone entirely, which I think is a very interesting uh, move. Um, to go back to my Manchester United comparison, it certainly stops the Sir Alex Ferguson sitting in the stands kind of syndrome that we've seen there. But the reason this is interesting to us on this show, not just because it's massive Silicon Valley news, is we, we were both saying off air what a big role Twitter has played in the digital publishing digital media ecosystem you know there are people discussing the removal of twitter ceo on twitter's audio platform you know that's a pretty big demonstration of what's been going on right yeah absolutely there's no question i remember a couple of years ago when twitter was still being compared to facebook for example in terms of its financial performance mm. and i remember writing a column arguing that, that was not the way to measure twitter the way to measure twitter is not whether it you know makes a hundred billion euro, whether it becomes worth a trillion dollars, it's on its effect on the world. And I don't think there's anybody who could cogently argue that Twitter does not have an outsized effect on the world. And I know that we're journalists and we might say that because we're in this media bubble, you might argue, maybe sports stars would say the same. But I think arguably Twitter, you would certainly say that as in the media world, and in the online streaming world, it's one of the five or six most important, some would argue it's the most important um, platform. So to be fair to Jack Dorsey, he was trying to ride two horses at the same time, mm. actually two and a half horses, because as we all know, he's also CEO of Square, well, yeah. which, which is, is another a business. small little job, small company. No, no. And that <laughs> is a business that not only does make good money, but actually has the potential to make even more money. So, um, but to be fair to him, um, Twitter remains a vital part of the landscape. It doesn't make that much money and the company does have, uh, you know, ambitions to do more, but he has put in a bit of service there. He's put in a shift. Yeah. And I think his point, and, and it's perhaps one that lots of digital media companies might have taken on board, that having uh, someone, a founder there constantly who never, ever, ever leaves is not necessarily the best way forward for a company. And I think that's no, quite I remember a profound he, insight. Yeah. The last time I met him, he was in Dublin a couple of years ago and he was absolutely knackered. Like he was, <laughs> he, he was in Twitter's uh, head, head office here, European head office. And uh, I remember meeting him and he looked 
wrecked. And it's no surprise because he's CEO of Twitter. He's CEO of Square. He's since become fascinated with yeah, Bitcoin, cryptocurrency, Web3. He's into all of these things and a particularly eccentric lifestyle and dietary regime as well. Um, so I'm just trying to think of another company boss that that reminds me of that I <laughs> write about. I can't think. Anyway, I'm sure I'll come yeah. to some comparison. Yeah. Um, well, uh, the also the other thing is he's 45 now, and for the energy levels that you would need to run all those companies, we all like to think of ourselves as being forever young. But I don't think uh, I think he's wise enough to realize. Uh, he won't be. So I, I think it's probably a good decision for, for the company in general. Um, and uh, I saw a colleague of ours, James Titcombe from the uh, Telegraph, mm. he tweeted, um, day one for new CEO, allow editing of tweets. Day two, resign in a blaze of glorious stock price doubles, <laughs> you know, which may, I'm against editing tweets, but I can see his point. Oh, interesting. That's a whole different conversation. But do it you is. think... Uh, I mean, Jack Dorsey obviously has a coding and engineering and programming background, as I understand it. Um, it he's being replaced by someone who is the CTO, obviously, an engineer. Yep. Um, the board, he's being replaced as chair of the board by someone also who has a uh, engineering background. Do we think that's going to shift the direction of Twitter, the company? And I mean that in the role it plays in the digital media landscape. Do you think they'll be less interested in that? Look, I... I'm putting you slightly on the spot because we've only got this news moments before we hit record, but it's the thought that's going through my head that will they have as much interest in participating in digital publishing and the digital media ecosystem? I think they will. I think it's been one of Twitter's handicaps has also been its strength in that its format is very difficult to mess with. Um, and that is essentially as a stream of short posts and links. Uh, and Twitter has had the heft to be able to expand to, to, you know, transmogrify its service into a lot of different things. But in doing so would always have weakened the platform, you know, as a simple direct in your face. Here is what's happening. Here's what I think. Um, let me tell you why you're right. Let me tell you why you're wrong service. Uh, yeah. So I'm not sure they're going to radically change it. I don't know, of course. The fact that they're engineers may just mean that they will, you know, in the short term, hone the product. There's been a few minor outages and a few things that have gone wrong with Twitter because Jack Dorsey does tend to look at the bigger vision thing. So it's it's hard to tell. I just think that Twitter, as as much as sometimes we don't like it, and there are times when I really don't like it. And I really think sometimes that it's not helpful in terms of public debate, although you could argue it's at least a purer, more direct form than some of the crap we get on the likes mm. of Facebook. And um, I, I think it's very difficult to change that format, certainly in the short term. And look, we're both acutely aware sometimes to our frustration that for many different kinds of users, Twitter is their primary digital source of news. It is. And um, that can be an issue at the moment we're seeing in, oh, I think it was in Kenya, Kenya's recent elections, huge problem with misinformation on Twitter. You're going to have that on, on any big platform. I suppose the only saving grace that Twitter has is that the kind of people who use it aggressively 
are in smaller numbers and I'm not saying they're less dangerous, mm. but at least it's not your deluded aunt and uncle who's kind of, you know, uh, who you'll find on Facebook. I think people's aunts and uncles get a bad rap in this conversation. It's always an aunt and uncle that get a bad rap in this conversation. Maybe I'm lucky with my Shots fired. That's a big claim, Charlotte. That's a big claim. Maybe I'm lucky with the aunts and uncles. Facebook and WhatsApp to me are (laughs) the absolute um, sewer in terms of, did you hear there's going to be, you know, a lockdown in six hours? That sort of stuff. Um, It's it's where a lot of the the, the stuff happens. But uh, Twitter does have a problem with misinformation it does have a lot of problems but at the very very least it's quick in some instances it's self-correcting i don't like pylons but at least you might say that when someone goes over the line there was always somebody there to to bark back so i don't know whether that's a good or a bad thing but at least it's it resolves itself more quickly than some of the other and social. I think that it's and it's going to remain a key issue and a key judgment of success of people running these platforms, how they deal with mis and disinformation. Adrian doesn't know he's done this, but he's actually given me the most delightful way to plug my own book on this subject, which uh-huh. I'm going to abuse my position of host and do so. Um, it's called Not Buying It. I put it out in 2019. Luckily, nothing around this subject has changed since then. So it's all, you know, nice and quiet on the disinformation front. But yes, not buying it by you. Was there an audio book of that? No. I haven't recorded an audio book. That'd be quite fun. Mm. That would be fun. Yeah, that would but, be um, good. Yes, good speaking voice as well. Yeah, I'll talk nice and quietly, yes. But um, <laughs> another thing I want to talk about before we crack on, uh, we've got a lot to pack into this show, actually, is our sponsor, one of our sponsors for today, LinkedIn Marketing Solutions. Let's pretend for a moment that you're about to launch a campaign. It tested well. Your entire team is happy. Everything is going according to plan, except for that one thought in the back of your head. How do I ensure the people I want to target will be in the mindset to receive my message? The answer, LinkedIn. Because when you market on LinkedIn, your message reaches people who are ready to engage with your business. And that means your advertising campaign will work as hard as it can as soon as you launch it. Over 62 million decision makers are on LinkedIn and they're thinking about their business. It's one of the many reasons more than 78% of B2B marketers rate LinkedIn as the most effective social media platform at helping their organisation achieve specific objectives. I personally find LinkedIn really useful for staying in touch with contacts and former colleagues and keeping up to date with opinion formers and leaders in the media and tech industries. LinkedIn can help you reach your short-term and long-term business goals. They offer tools for brand building and lead generation. Not only can you target and reach a professional audience down to their job title, company name and location, but you can engage people you already know based on who's visited your site or who you've contacted in the past. You can even customise your campaign based on the action you want your customers to take and objectives you want to achieve. Advertising on LinkedIn the world's largest professional network, can help you reach your marketing goals. Do business where business is done. Get a $100 advertising credit towards your first LinkedIn campaign. Visit linkedin.com slash media plus. That's linkedin.com slash media plus. Terms and conditions apply. Thanks to LinkedIn Marketing Solutions for supporting this show. And I'm back with the Irish Independence, Adrian Weckler. And as I said, we've got a lot to dig into. And one of the things is... We were kind of looking ahead. We're at that time of year where we're looking ahead. And we were thinking about kind of the idea of 2022 as the year of the rebundling. Um, 
one of the right. things that made me think of this is Spotify and Netflix have come together to create a hub for content. Now, this has been true of time in memoriam. I'm thinking of the chasing cars, Grey's Anatomy thing, where you see a so hear a song on a TV show and it sends it stratospheric. Um, I think there was the various versions of Hallelujah that we saw on the OC back in the day did a similar thing. There's, there's lots of different ones we can think of. Um, but both these companies who could not really direct rivals, but you know, they're rivals for users' attention at least, have decided to come together and create a hub so that there's official playlists, extra content, um, all that kind of thing for big shows on Netflix that you can listen to on Spotify. What did you make of this on the face of it, first of all, Adrian? I mean, on the face of it, it makes an yeah. awful lot of sense for the simple reason that if you, I doubt there are many listeners who, when they are watching their favorite streamed series, for example, do not also have their smartphone in their hand and two or three times a show, maybe more, are looking up the names of stars or actors are maybe trying to Shazam um, a song or a track or a piece of music that's on in the background or looking it up. Um, I, I know in terms of music discovery, for example, uh, it's has become a lot more difficult in recent years as people move from radio stations to streaming uh, stations. And also as you get older, by the way, there's an age thing. It's, it's less of a thing that you and your mates are talking about. Yeah. Did you hear this new yeah. band? Did you hear this new singer? A lot of it now comes from TV and from streaming a series. So it's a natural kind of a hookup. I, I've i tried it on Spotify and I don't fully see yet. It's not utterly compelling mm. yet, but it does make sense. I think it really makes sense. Just looking at the image kind of that they put out when they were announcing it, you can see there's an official soundtrack to Red Notice, um, which is obviously a huge, huge, huge hit, yeah. a normal hit on Netflix. Uh, Money High says things for, I think there's extra content. So podcasts that are related to shows, they're putting all of it in this hub. Mm -hmm. And as you say, it makes entire sense. It's good for Spotify because it brings ears to Spotify. It enhances the Netflix user experience. It makes sense. The, f the second thing that occurred to me, though, as I was writing about this and reading about it, was Apple has this all built in anyway. It has its own ecosystem, mm -hmm. you know, and I know in the countries we both live in and in the US, antitrust regulators are very interested in this kind of thing. It's mostly been to about the app store so far. But, you know, this idea that Apple can control its entire ecosystem. So you have, and I've shared them on the Mac Observer, official playlists from Apple TV Plus shows. You then have musicians doing interviews they get broadcast on Apple Music Radio and their albums on Apple Music. The Bruce Springsteen documentary, there was the documentary on that TV Plus. He did Music Radio. The album was on Apple Music. There's so many examples where Apple has this ecosystem built in already, but its rivals are having to collaborate to compete. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, I would respectfully mm -hmm. contend that on this issue and on this activity of trying to control an ecosystem when, with relation to um, things like TV series and music, Apple isn't as vulnerable, I think, as I it know, would be on right. some Just of the other issues like App Store or like sense. other things. On a pure number sense, I mean, Apple TV Plus 
you know, it's making a go of it. It's doing okay. It's got a few decent series, but it it's an absolute no, fraction yeah. of the content that you know Netflix or even some of the other studios and a, a fraction of have. the eyeballs of Netflix as well. Absolutely, and I mean, you could make Apple could very legitimately say if they're being completely honest behind closed doors when they're talking, you know, in raw terms with lawyers on the opposite side. Look, you know, this us controlling our own ecosystem in this closely way probably hurts Apple TV plus and possibly hurts Mm. Apple music more than it does more than it helps us because we're Apple music is huge, but Apple TV plus isn't. And anything that would drive more engagement with Apple TV plus on huge platforms like Spotify would actually help. So um, I'm not, I I don't think Apple has to worry too much uh, about it might be used as a supporting mm. case uh, uh, in one of the actions, antitrust actions from one of the regulators from the EU or the US to show the type of behavior that Apple, uh, the, the way that Apple thinks. But in and of itself, I don't think it'd be. No, I think you're likely to be right. And, but it adds, I think, to the criticism some people make or can try and make at Apple that it is a bit of a closed shop. Interestingly, in the examples you made um, of Apple TV Plus and Apple Music, there is a growing quite un-Apple trend that we've discussed on this show and in other places of Apple allowing its product, i.e. those services, on other people's platforms. So, you know, various Samsung, LG, so on televisions with the Apple TV app built in. Um, Better connection, you know, you can't just listen to Apple Music on a HomePod. You know, it works on an no. on a Apple Echo Dot, Amazon Echo Dot, et cetera, et cetera. It has opened yeah. that up a bit. I think the wider Apple's aspirations come to play, to become big players in different industries, the weaker its core philosophy of maintaining a closed loop um, is in terms of the possibility I mean, the TV industry and the movie industry, it's just not something that you can, you know, keep under the type of control that you can, you know, components for your, your your phone. We're going to see it in cars as well. I mean, if, as we expect, Apple does come up with a car in 2025, 2026, there's absolutely no way it will be able to keep any detail secret, even within six months of the launch. Because the car industry is just way, way, way too uh, and easy. Give, well, given how much so, we know or think we know already, I mean, you're being proven yep. right years out. Yeah. Yeah, and no, absolutely. Cars and is actually an look, interesting example isn't... because car ecosystems and, you know, cars are increasingly computers with wheels. Um, you know, Apple's CarPlay, the integration it has with different car make manufacturers software is another example of Apple kind of loosening its grip on things. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I don't think that that this is necessarily a bad thing. It shows that Apple's pragmatism, uh, because if Apple is to continue growing and continue, you know, to become, you know, a huge player in in new sectors, it's going to have to adopt this attitude. But coming back to you know what we were talking about, collaboration mm-hmm. between media platforms. I, I still think it's Apple's instinct to resist it, except where absolutely necessary. Even putting Apple TV Plus on Samsung TVs, that's a very 
that's kind of like that's a little bit like having iTunes and Windows yeah. PCs. You know, it's it's really more to benefit Apple than it is an actual it's, collaboration. It's realised that you know it doesn't sell televisions of its own. People don't want to do what I have to do on a slightly older television, which is plug in a HDMI cable to my Mac that's sitting nearby to watch Apple TV Plus. You know, people don't want to do that if there's no AirPlay functionality as well on the TV. If you want people to watch your stuff, you have to make it easy for them to do so. Yeah, uh, absolutely. And um, I, I, I bought two TVs during the lockdown. One was a, a fairly ordinary Panasonic telly, not bad, um, decent, uh, relatively small in this day and age, 40, a mere 40 inches. And the other one was a Sony, which was an OLED, which is more expensive, 55 inches, spent a bit of cash on that one. The interesting thing about the Sony is you can update it much more easily. And it has, it, it probably because it, it uses a large dollop of Google there, um, you can you can basically put anything you want on with Panasonic. Like I, they've just, I think they've just about got Disney on it at this point. So the benefits to Sony, um, there are circumstances in which it will impede the marketability of a television. I mean, I I would, I don't think I would buy a high end Panasonic, Sonic TV. Because they're just uh, uh, the lack of access to services. It's, yeah, and and because the general philosophy that that is telling me about Panasonic, the hardware itself is excellent, but I have wider interests than just the hardware. I will want to keep up with new services, and you you generally will have a TV for a minimum of five or six yeah. years, probably more. So uh, that might be a factor as well. Anyway, we're kind of going yeah. a little bit off beam, but, the, well, but we are, we're uh, not. But, but I, th- I think what I want to talk about is this idea of the rebundling and bundling is coming together. And there's actually a hardware example I want to bring up. But first, I want to thank our second sponsor of today's show, Coinbase. Cryptocurrency might feel like a secret or exclusive club. I know it does to me sometimes. But Coinbase believes that everyone everywhere should be able to get in the door. Whether you've been trading for years or are just getting started, Coinbase can help. Coinbase offers a trusted and easy-to-use platform to buy, sell and spend cryptocurrency. They support the most popular digital currencies on the market and make them accessible to everyone. They offer portfolio management and protection, learning resources and a mobile app so you can trade securely and monitor your crypto all in one place. Millions of people in over 100 countries trust Coinbase with their digital assets. Whether you're looking to diversify, just getting started, or searching for a better way to access crypto markets, start today with Coinbase. For a limited time, new users can get $10 in free Bitcoin when you sign up today at coinbase.com slash media plus. Sign up at coinbase.com slash media plus for $10 in free Bitcoin. This offer is for a limited time only, so be sure to sign up today. That's coinbase.com slash media plus. Thanks to Coinbase for supporting this show. So yes, I'm talking about the great rebundling, if we're going to start calling it that, I think I'm going to, um, with Adrian Weckler. And I noticed recently here in the UK that Sky, um, which is kind of the Rupert Murdoch-ish offshoot B-Sky B, or whatever it used to be called, um, it's changed its name a few times over the years, but it's the, it's the kind of one of the main satellite did uh broadcasting platforms here um it came out with its first piece of hardware called sky glass which is a smart television and 
it has also got a streaming service called Now TV. You can get add-ons. So I pay for an entertainment bundle, which gets me various shows and a sports bundle, which gets me most of their sports coverage. Um, and it's now come with Peacock, which brings brings Peacock to the UK for the first time, which to me is a perfect example of another kind of bundling that's happening where, you know, these service providers are realising they have to keep adding stuff to keep people interested because people are not going to um, subscribe to an infinite number of services. Yeah, Sky, in fairness to it, is probably the only UK-based TV industry player that has shown that it has the commitment to be able to plan for this in the medium term. I mean, a couple of years ago, I was fairly convinced that Sky's prospects were very, very limited. I didn't see how it could defend itself against the onslaught of a combination of smart TVs on the one hand and the streaming services on the other. And the fact that most of the the TV, the aforementioned TVs were now coming with those um, smart apps, uh, you know, Netflix, Amazon, et cetera, bundled on them. And I, I was asking the question, well, where does this leave a traditional uh TV broadcaster like Sky, actually Sky has been able to, you know, very nimbly move in in and around that universe. It's been able to keep its its boxes updated with relatively new apps. It's integrated a lot of those streaming options into its uh, its boxes, and it's it, the service is just about good enough to be able to use. So, in other words, cutting through all of the industry nerd talk. The net result is you're an ordinary person. You're not really into your tech, but you buy a service, say it's it's a Sky TV box. You're not really missing out much if you do that. It's because there is a commitment there from Sky to sort of to keep up. So I I would give them credit for that. Um, I still think we're into an issue. You mentioned Peacock there. We've been talking about Netflix, Mm -hmm. Amazon, Disney Plus, Apple TV Plus. Um, I still think there's an issue um, that is lurking in the background as to whether or not we are reaching peak streaming platform. Yeah. There are arguments for and against that. Um, Star Trek Discovery, for example, which I had been watching on Netflix, is now going to leave Netflix. And the creator's producer's idea is that if you want to watch it, you're going to have to subscribe to yet another platform, <laughs> Paramount Plus, which won't be available in Europe until sometime in 2022. And I'm asking myself, I already subscribe yeah. to Netflix, Amazon, Disney, Apple, Mubi, and Discovery Plus, YouTube Premium, um, one or two others. Uh, and am I going to lay out another eight or nine euro or 10 euro a month to watch one show? I don't know. I don't know either, but I'm definitely coming around your house to watch TV because it sounds like you've got everything. <laughs> I wouldn't miss anything. I'm very yeah, happy. The other thing is, we, we, like, we do have everything. And I would say in any one month, I probably get my value from maybe two of them. Okay. Right. Two or three of them. This is and the, the re- key thing. Yeah. And the reason I keep the subscriptions, the others is there is still is this article of faith that there will be something there in another month, or there is something there that I just haven't time to, had time to commit to yet. Uh, and that's why I keep paying. It's like a bookshelf with books that you, uh, there's some, couple of great books you bought six or eight weeks ago you'd really like to read them you just Haven't you just don't, don't have time yet. yet but you're definitely going to read them i'm exactly yeah. the same with the and we don't have 
uh, as quite as many streaming services available as our friends and listeners in the US do. Would, would there are even no. more there? Each kind of yeah. network seems to have its own platform now. Um, and I think there is, and it's always been one of the things I've watched on this show, is that there was going to be a point where people said, enough. I don't need, mm. I know it's not a lot of money you're asking from me, but actually in totality, it's enough. I don't need to, exactly the argument you put out. Whatever yep. currency you're operating in, do I need to spend another six, seven, eight, nine dollars, mm. euros, pounds to watch, you know, maybe two shows, maybe three shows when I've got all this yep. other content? Um, and I think the I, real crunch, sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, tell me what you think is because I actually, I, my question is going to be I wonder if platforms are going to have to collaborate even more formally than we saw that Spotify Netflix hookup. Yeah, well, that's always been one theory that the logical uh, end place for a lot of these streaming platforms is to end up somehow bundled into one service you can pay for. I'm not sure that that's going to happen, really. I think it's more likely that one would acquire another and that it would be integrated. Maybe the price would go up by a fiver or something. But I think that the real crunch in terms of whether people are willing to keep all the subscription will happen once the pandemic really does ease. And I'll tell you why. In my own case, I would have gone to the cinema maybe once a month, right? Right. Now, going to the cinema in Ireland, the UK, the US, it's a little bit cheaper in the US, but in this side. No, on this side of the Atlantic, let's say you're going, let's say you're not going alone. Let's say you're going with your family or a friend or whatever. Now, the cinema ticket alone will cost somewhere around, you know, eight to 10 euros or pounds, something around that, depending on where you That's see it. Quite cheap. You... That would be quite cheap here okay. in London. Let's call it a tenner. And then let's say you buy snacks. You may not, but let's say you'll probably spend maybe another you tenner. Will. Let's that... be honest. Okay. So that's 20 quid. Now, 20 quid is actually a full month of two or even three mm-hmm. of the platform oh, services. Absolutely. We're looking. So if you've been going to the cinema once a month and you haven't during COVID, you may not realize it, but you've actually had a spare 20 quid to, to spend on platforms. Now, if you if you still bear with me here, supposing the pandemic ends and we all flock back to the cinema in great numbers, we were starting to go back, but let's say we go back in full numbers. I think it's at that point when you're spending that extra 20 quid, 30 quid, that you're now starting to question, do I need nine monthly subscriptions? And also, I mean, the comparison with the cinema, I understand why you've made it, not just because of the price point, because it's a content consumption point. Mm. But there's equally a thing where people are doing more out and about, uh, you know, spending more money in different ways, where I think the same question can be asked. You know, you've Mm. the money you might have spent on a Saturday evening out, having dinner and a drink with a friend, you might go, oh, do you know what? I'm not spending that over the next few months. I'll give myself some extra content and some extra pleasure to have at home. Fine. Absolutely. I mean, Reed Hastings, Netflix CEO, yes. I've interviewed him twice. And he his big thing over the last several years has been Netflix's biggest competitor isn't Amazon or Apple or Disney. It's time. And yeah. it, and it's it's life outside. It's everything other than Netflix. It's not that you are likely to cancel Netflix because you you know you're you're subscribing to another service necessarily it probably it could be though that it's because you've decided to go to the park more you're going to the theater more you're going out to visit friends more and you just don't have 
as many hours in the evening, particularly to spend watching Netflix. Yeah, I think that's a very salient point. I know I definitely know I've signed up for things over the last 15, 18 months because I've gone, oh, well, I might as well, if I'm stuck here, I might as well have lots of stuff to enjoy myself with. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be really interesting to see that see that play out. So you're not convinced that we're going to see some Netflix, Peacock, TV Plus super bundle. I'm being slightly facetious, but only I, slightly. I'd be very surprised if we saw a collaboration or a partnership between individual standing companies like that. All or most of those companies have shareholders uh, who can be quite aggressive and they, they're, you know, they're looking for the strategic advantage down the line. People like Reed Hastings, people, others like that, and Apple in particular, they don't like those type of arrangements. Mm. They, they, they always want to believe that they are in charge of their own destinies. And it's possible that when the streaming industry becomes a very mature one where there really isn't any growth left in the market. And you, you can't really steal any more from cable TV or, or, or whatever. It's possible that at that point you might start seeing something along those lines. But I think if, if something like that were to happen, it would come through uh, more through acquisition. The other thing I'll say is, I mean, it is also it's confusing and it can be too much and overbearing, but it is the absolute height of a first world problem. My problem, the one that I've been moaning about <laughs> so here, true. the one that I've been moaning about literally boils down to I'm in a sweet shop and there's just, there are too many cakes for me to eat in this 24 hour period. And like, this is terrible. It's so confusing. Somebody should do something about it. You know? Oh my God. Do I pick between the Kardashians or the latest made in Chelsea or what? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. No, you're absolutely right. But look, that's the kind of world that is the world media players operate in. And it's, it's going to be a very interesting one to watch in 2022. I'm, less convinced than you that it absolutely won't happen in Mm. some form but I think you'll probably be right that there'll be some it'll be more about acquisition than yeah I I mean I think sport could be sport could be a catalyst Mm. Netflix has for years sworn that it would not go near sport Amazon as we've seen is going into sport in a fairly big way if you're a tennis fan um, I've got 20 Premier League football matches over the Christmas period coming up Absolutely. Uh, and I mean, Apple's move, potential move or not into live sport is one that's interested me for a while. And if and when it happens, I will definitely have to. Well, it will depend on how the Premier League season is going, depending on if I can deal with you talking about sport or not. <laughs> it depends on how our respective teams are doing at that point. But um, well, thank I'm, you let's so- put it this way. I'm, I'm, I'll talk for as long as you want at the moment, <laughs> Charlotte. Uh, for context, Adrian is a Liverpool fan. I am uh, not. Um, but thank you so much for joining me to unpack all this, Adrian, because there is a lot to unpack or maybe repack. Um, where can people keep up with your your excellent tech coverage? Sure. Uh, on Twitter, uh, I'm at Adrian Weckler. Um, I'm also on independent.ie, which is the website of the Irish and Sunday Indian newspaper. If you happen to be in Ireland or in big cities in the UK, you can also find us in this thing that we used to sell. It's called a newspaper, right? It actually comes in this actual pay bound paper. And it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy. So you can find us there you. as well. Yeah. I think you, I, I, having never met Adrian in person, I convinced he only exists in pixel form. <laughs> um, 
I'm Charlotte Henry. You can follow me at Charlotte A. Henry on Twitter. Uh, Please do subscribe and share this show with those you think would like it. And we'll see you next week. Bye.